0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Mind Muscle Connection. I'm Joe Klimzescu with Tyler Weeb. We're going to bring you a topic that is going to seem a little bit weird initially to talk to the bodybuilding and hard training fitness community. And it is, it is attachment theory, which is a psychological model, uh, specifically in how we form relationships and then how we interact in those relationships. And, and I would say it's foundational Impetus is truly more paired relationships, your, your partner, your spouse. And uh, j- just to kind of give a little bit more of the framework, there are four types, and, and these are described a little bit differently by, by different people. But what we want, what we would hope for, is a secure attachment style. So, again, this is how we interact with other people in a relationship. There is a secure attachment style, <clears throat> there is an anxious attachment style an avoidant, right. Same here. I'm going to, I'll, I'll jump in there the exact same an avoidant uh, style and then either an anxious avoidant combined, or some people call it a fearful avoidant or a disorganized avoidant. Um, so that's where there's a little bit of a kind of a blended one. But uh, when I first started learning about this and it probably was no sooner than four or five years ago, it really was, paramount to I me. Mean, it's so obvious once you learn this. And, and again, in science, we, we're always trying to uh, create this, this, this theory of everything. We want one theory to encompass everything. So attachment style was one of those efforts where it's like, this explains everything in relationships. If you just find out your attachment style and you know your partners, you'll, you'll understand each other's vulnerabilities. You'll understand where each other really have hangups and you can talk about it. You can work through it and things will be better. But then I started thinking kind of the obvious, something that you said off camera, Tyler, that this really does go into every relationship. That's how we are in employment relationships and friendships and uh, in, in client coach relationships. You know, that's a huge thing. And a lot of times where there are misunderstandings or just not very good connection it's simply because both parties have no idea that this exists and it's trying to mix oil and water. So you raised your hand there when I got to anxious attachment. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that before we we go on, Tyler. Well, it was more so for me, like, you know, just
1: reading through it and going, yeah, you know what, that, that does sound uh, a, a lot like me here where you know, there are going to be some of those types of avoidance and I'm going to get anxious and I'm going to, you know, reach out for that extra, uh, that extra love, if you will, or that extra intimacy, because I'm going to have kind of that anxiety around everything. And so just kind of reading through that kind of kind of really stuck out to me and, and how it's like, wow. Okay. Yeah. That, that does kind of reflect. And it's funny because it kind of got me thinking about you know my childhood and 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 bringing up because so much of this research or the early research was done on on children and how so many of these these four schemas if you will are developed at such an early age when you know we are purely reacting you know off our emotions and we are Seeing what is going to you know get X emotion from our caregiver or our attachment, which I kind of liked that word a little bit more as an attachment because that's where I saw kind of this overarching of our of our podcast, and, and I'm sure we'll transition transition into that at some point. But you know how we can just develop. And and get onto these certain attachments, whatever it might be. And, and so if we can almost start to bring that caregiver attachment like into these other attachments and start to get like our comfort from that, and then our tribe that surrounds that. And so that's where that, like, that really kind of got me interested in just you know how much this permeates, you know, not just our our intimate relationships with, with people. But I think where we also now transfer that over into like our ideologies and how we see ourselves, you know, within our environment.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought it all the way back to the origin of children. So I'll give you an example. I, I have one grandchild, a 16 month old grandson, and because my youngest child, who's 19, is is on a track to become a, a clinical psychologist. And so, of course, she's heard about this already. So, you know, the day she hears about attachment theory, she comes home, it's like, ah, because it is so, so interesting. And and so with our grandson, because my my daughter, uh, who has our grandchild, is, is, you know, somebody who is very, very good at expanding his entire social world. So she's very comfortable with with us taking him once in a while for an afternoon. He's around a lot of people other side of the family with her partner. And yet, you know, children are children. Even if they get used to a, a wider social circle, they're still going to have some kind of reaction. So Truett, our grandson, doesn't necessarily like leaving mom. Like he'll cry a little bit or when she leaves, but then he's fine. He's comfortable. And then when she comes back, he's excited to see her. Life's good and life goes on. If you were an anxious attachment, like you would cry and cry and cry and you just couldn't you couldn't stand to not be around that caregiver, and then perhaps when they come back, like you're actually pissed. Like even babies can show this resentment, and, and so you end up with this anxiousness that everybody leaves you, and like you said, you start reaching out for greater validation. You you feel like there you're always on the brink of something being wrong, and you know your partner could maybe like give you the wrong look or say the wrong thing, and you're so offended by that. And so it, you're always on pins and needles. The avoidant ends up just kind of stonewalling. They internalize everything. Everything's my fault. I'm unlovable. And we see those two. Those are the two primary. So secure aside for a second, because we, we all seek or should seek to be secure. But that avoidant and that anxious, if you think for just a second of just that breakdown, in a coach-client relationship, and I'm, I'm assuming most of our listeners will be clients, some will be coaches, but if a client all of a sudden just kind of disappears and you have to go fishing for them and then they say, well, I just didn't get anything from you and so I thought you didn't like me or I thought you were kind of sucky, low service and that kind of thing. And so they were just fuming and internalizing this, this bad turn in the relationship Instead of just reaching out and saying, hey, is everything okay? Maybe I missed an email. Like instead of just assuming something could be wrong, um, they, they assume it's them and they, they avoid. The anxious person is just relentlessly reaching out and needing that validation. And they're just, you know, they, they want your attention nonstop because they can't be secure without that external support. So those are the kind of things that I think, Tyler, as a coach, just understanding personality psychology a little bit more and things like attachment theory, I can look at that and it's almost like being the omnipotent narrator saying, okay, I, I see how they are personality wise. And that's okay. We're all, we're all different. So I just have to make extra sure I do this for this client to make sure that that attachment does feel more secure in either direction. So I, you know, I, I just think this really has everything to do with some of those breakdowns in the coaching relationship.
1: Yeah, those are some absolutely amazing points. And I think something that, you know, not every coach needs to be aware of. I mean, like they, we definitely need to be aware of that as coaches, but I think clients, I think also need to realize that the more feedback that you can give a coach, as long as, you know, they are a good coach, the better your relationship is going to be. I was talking, you know, with my wife, she, she runs, you know, she runs a, a, a local grocery store um, and she was having some, some issues with, with some employees and, and it was around just some gossip and, and things like that. And, you know, she was just saying like, this is not, you know, how it works. We talk to each other, we support each other. We're in this together and we are just not going to have this kind of behind the back talk. And I think just for even clients, it's not that you're, you know, talking behind a coach's back, but the less they know, the less that coach can help you through these things. You know, we are talking a lot about when it comes to dieting and, and achieving a physique is your, your beliefs about yourself and the, you know, we've said it so many times, the narratives that we tell ourselves, you know, in some of my reading this morning on, on for this podcast. Um, you know, kind of something that stood out to me was the ultimate goal of the attachment system is security, right? People just want to feel secure in who they are. And now we throw in years and years and tons of messaging of you need to look a certain way, you need to eat a certain way. And so now we're developing even further insecurity, you know, within this realm And so just as we come together and have this like blending of the coach client relationship, you know, I think just having that being able to give that security to those clients is paramount to that coach client relationship because that's all people are really looking for, right? Like people just want to be liked. People just want, well, maybe not everyone, but the majority of people, right. We want to be loved. We want to know that we're doing a good job. We want to know that we're moving in the right direction with our goals And if you're the coach and, you know, you're just kind of, you know, here's macros, here's cardio, and that's it. You are missing out on like, you know, 80% of a coaching job, like giving out macros and cardio and training. That's easy. Like that's the easy stuff it's diving into that person's psychology and how they view themselves and, you know, what is holding us up from achieving that goal. It typically isn't you know, they'll say, because oh I'm not hitting my macros, but it's why are we not hitting your macros? Right? Like that, there is a big difference there because how many times, you know, have we go, well, I'm going to start on Monday. I know I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. And things never really materialize. Well, probably not because we're lazy. It's because, you know, something there is holding us back from doing that, whatever it might be. So, Really having that, you know, open conversation and that open mindedness, um, you know, with that client is huge. And I think for myself, you know, as a coach, one of the most important things that I think unconsciously started to come about over the last few years, and, and you know, over the last little bit, you know, I've been conscious of it is that I've got nothing to hide. Like, here, you know, here I am. This is who, you know, who I am. This is you know, my view on things when when we talk about something, you know, by no means do I have all of the answers. All I have is my experience. But I like to think that I've put a lot of time and effort and thought process into my experience and to try and be able to talk about it in a, in a manner where, you know, maybe someone can get something out of it. So I think just even, you know, bringing out your own security for for other people to see can start to foster some of that security because they see you like, Oh, this person has nothing to hide. They're not, you know, trying to be someone different. They're, you know, pouring their heart out to me, if you will. And I think, yeah, once you can kind of start to establish that relationship, that's going to become a lot more two way. So again, as the coach, you may want that from your clients, and some clients will certainly give that to you without you prodding. Okay. But I from what just my experience, you have to poke and prod. You have to show that you're willing to come to the table as you're, you know, with your weaknesses for the client to start to share their own weaknesses because no one likes to be uncomfortable, no one likes to share their their innermost struggles, you know. that we do tend to kind of hold on to them quite a bit. So Yeah, that's that's something that has really kind of cropped up for me over the last few months and just in my coaching and in generally in life.
0: Well, that's one of the reasons why I I connect with you so well in this arena. And I wanted to do this entire podcast together when when we were working together in a coaching mentorship capacity and you said the one thing you want to be known for, if, if this is what your entire business is predicated on. And this is what everybody thinks of when they think of Tyler Wiebe. It's It's service, it's connection, it's going that extra mile, it's giving people some kind of partnership that they just can't get anywhere else. And I was probably faster than ever really coming around to understanding that because in my younger coaching days, I was very much a technocrat. I'm an introvert by nature, which means I don't even want that much connection, you know, some and sometimes, but not all the time. And I need to, I need to step away to recharge. So I'm not automatically in people's faces and I just got too busy too fast. So all of a sudden I'm working with 300 clients at a time. I'm, you know, working 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm, you know, my email communication with clients was just a job, a nonstop avalanche of a job. When I was able to pull back and say, "Okay, I don't, I can't do this forever. I can't do it any longer. I need to pull back in some ways, reorganize my time." Now that I only work with about fifty clients at a time, and I work with more coaches as well, I can just sit back and have a lot of depth with with clients. And uh, you know, the reciprocal response from that is overwhelming. And, and you said something, Tyler, that I think is really tremendous. You said the client also has a responsibility you know, the, the client may actually be the more emotionally intelligent in this coaching relationship. And maybe the client needs to realize, okay, this is the way my coach is. I need to do this to craft the relationship in a direction I want it to go. Either way, it's, it's nice to have that communication, even if it's not on this level, you don't have to say your attachment side is this, or, you know, attachment, you know, uh, bent, you, you just have to you just have to have these conversations and say, This is what I really need from you. And I often even ask my clients that it's very rare that I don't end formal check ins and communication with clients by saying, How can I best help you? You know, what can I do for you this week that would be the most practical thing? And again, like, such a difference from me as a coach 20 years ago, but I, 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 I feel better. I feel more human. I think I'm creating better relationships. And and I think that shows in, in what I've created with clients most recently.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I'm going to start asking that at the end of my check-ins. Now I usually, I go, let me know if there's anything you need, but I think people will, you know, don't want to almost bother you with that. But when you ask, what can I help you with? That all of a sudden now brings down a barrier of like, oh, like I don't want to be needy. Oh no, they're like they're genuinely interested in wanting to help me. So that's 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 a good one. I'm definitely gonna to have to uh, incorporate that into my check-ins. But yeah, I think it's and and we do it so unconsciously too, right? I mean, we've learned these these these. Um, behaviors you know from such an early age when we kind of are unconscious if if you will and you know one of just kind of you know my questions that i had as i was reading through everything this morning was how many adults you know get past that that unconscious phase if you kind of gather you know where i'm going with this because it does seem like we never really get past that, you know. We kind of go through this this growing up phase. We have these reactions. We do this. We do that, and then it never seems to really change. And so we then now get into these, you know, these tribes and these places where you know we feel super comfortable in, without even really realizing it and really understanding kind of the full breadth of of why we're doing what we're doing. And so it it kind of just made me come back to the point, and and maybe we might have talked about this in, in previous podcasts. Is man, everyone should be seeing a therapist in some capacity because, you know, really being able to like truly understand yourself through this, like you have to do again, like the dirty work and the hard work, because I don't think that you can bring that security as a coach without having that security within yourself. And it is not that it's a, you know, it's, you know, one day you flip the switch and you feel secure, like you are going to have to put that network and it's going to be a constant thing that you're having to continually working at. But, you know, I would feel that there's a certain level that a coach should be at to provide that type of service in their own journey of understanding who they are, uh, understanding maybe their own attachment theory, and then how that reflects
0: within their life. Yeah. I, I have to say j- just bringing up therapy in general, um, I've been fortunate to have a lot of friends who are clinical therapists, so I've always had some great interaction, but there was a time, gosh, just maybe shy of 10 years ago that, that just for general self-development and anxiety that I was having, I, I started working with an anxiety specialist. You know, I, I found who I thought was probably the best in the country and did a teletherapy type relationship for a while. Then started working with somebody locally, and then I thought, okay, this this now needs to go into kind of a marital situation, and, and brought my wife into that. And and just because she is a super avoidant, and I'm a super anxious, or even an anxious avoidant, um, you know, it was it was so clear that if we were just not connecting the way we wanted, what the issue was. Once we just simply knew these categories and theories, and now both of us. It just, it just, we don't let it happen. Like you instantly know, well, they're not doing that because they don't love me or because they're angry at me. It's just because that's the way their brain works. And so now you know exactly how to kind of bring that barrier down, as you mentioned, and there's just zero friction. Now it's such a, a different world. And if we don't understand those things about ourselves, even in this client relationship, I don't think there's any way we can avoid just just breaking a lot of relationships needlessly.
1: It all yeah. It also seems that we we have such an easy tendency to think that other people think like us, or they emotionally react to the exact same situation just like we do, and so there is that also disconnect of being able to fully understand that you know you could have the exact same experience but have completely different reactions to it based upon you know that person's environment of growing up in and how they reacted you know to to those things cuz temperament of a of a baby or a, a toddler that has something to do with it as well and temperament is going to be different in everyone and so it's it's such a, a multi-layered complex situation because i think that you can also change that right i think you can make those efforts and that work to change the way you react and you can change your you know your attachment schema if you will to to be something a little bit different you know you're probably always going to have to deal with that initial reaction i don't think that's going to ever really go anywhere that's always going to be your initial reaction but again we kind of circle back to understanding that Knowing that initial reaction is is happening because of X, let's take that gap. <laughs> I think every podcast we've talked about that gap.
0: <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. Yeah,
1: take that that little pause and then go forth.
0: Yep, yep. Perfect, perfectly said. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop us there. Uh, everybody listening or viewing, tons of information on YouTube. You could just type in attachment theory. Some great books. Um, again, I I don't think it's it's all we need to know about relationships and psychology and, and personal development, but it is a massive, massive part of it. So hope you guys enjoyed. We will see you next time in the Mind Muscle Connection.